Hello and welcome back to the UFO and Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Rick Black. Today I'm going to continue with the Betty and Barney Hill incident. If you haven't listened to part one, I would highly recommend that you go back and listen to episode nine before you start here. To recap episode one, coming back from their honeymoon, Betty and Barney Hill saw a UFO. They stopped the car and they got out to get a really good look at it. Through binoculars, they could see the occupants of the craft, alien grays in shiny black uniforms. They got in the car and left, but they got home two hours later than they should have. They were missing two hours. Two years after their UFO experience, Betty and Barney Hill traveled to Boston for a visit with one of the country's leading experts in regressive hypnosis, Dr. Benjamin Simon. Dr. Simon had earned a reputation for himself when he was a colonel in the Army. He developed a special technique where he used trans-hypnosis to treat soldiers who were coming back from the war who had experienced what they then called physiological ailments, what we call today PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder. I think that it's not only possible, but plausible that Betty and Barney Hill were experiencing PTSD as a result of their UFO experience. But could Dr. Simon help them? Dr. Simon said, and this is a long quote, Barney's symptoms had begun just after they had their sighting. Betty had responded by a series of dreams extending over a week or more of a nightmarish quality. So it seemed that this really involved both of them and their experiences, and I undertook to take both of the treatment and to use hypnosis to penetrate what appeared to be an amnesic period with very vague background. End quote. Over the next six months, Betty and Barney undergo a series of treatments. During these sessions, Dr. Simon induces them into a deep trance. Dr. Simon starts with Barney and puts him into a deep hypnosis and directs Barney to say everything that happened on that trip, all the feelings he had and all the experiences and so on. While under hypnosis, Barney recalls everything in his conscious memory. He remembers the drive through the White Mountains and seeing the strange light up in the sky. But when he gets to the part when he's standing out in the field and looking at the UFO with the binoculars, he starts to have a little trouble. He says he wants to wake up. Simon tries to calm him and he tells him that he won't wake up and that he's fine. Nothing is going to harm him. Barney starts to panic. I can't do it justice just by talking about it. You can actually hear the entire session on YouTube. There are two sections, actually. They're about 40 minutes long. I'll play a little clip for you here. Warning, what I'm about to play for you is really creepy, really chilling. If you have a hard time with that sort of thing, you should fast forward about 40 seconds. I try to maintain control so Betty cannot tell I am scared. God, I'm scared. It's all right. You can go right on, experience it. It will not hurt you now. I got to get my gun. In my opinion, he is either a great actor or he's really experiencing this. 
It's absolutely chilling. Later, during another hypnotic session, Barney recalls hearing the weird buzzing type beeps and what occurred afterward. He's driving, and for some unknown reason, just out of the blue, he makes a turn. Under hypnosis, he calmly says, I don't know why I had to make that turn. And then they're on a dirt road with tall trees all around. Uh, Sound familiar? There's a fiery orb that he sees, and he sees these entities that are standing in the road dressed in shiny black uniforms. And then Barney says, it's them. It's the ones I saw when I was standing in the field looking through binoculars. Betty also goes under hypnosis to retrieve those blocked memories of what occurred the night they saw the flying saucer. Under hypnosis, Betty remembers everything that she had a conscious memory of, and then she remembers out of nowhere, Barney takes a sharp turn in the road, and boom, they're on a dirt road with tall trees all around. There were figures standing in the road, and she saw this huge fiery orb. She says to Barney, What is this? Are we being robbed? Is there an accident ahead? Barney says to Betty, It's them. Betty gets scared. She's never been so petrified in her life. She reaches for the door handle. She's going to run into the woods and hide. But they catch her, and she passes out. The next thing Betty remembers is being escorted through the woods and onto the spacecraft. They tell Betty, There's nothing to be afraid of. We are going to do a few simple tests. You won't be harmed, and you will very quickly be on your way. She doesn't trust them. She starts to struggle and actually kicks the one next to her and tears the hem of her dress and tears the lining of her dress from waist to hemline. They regain control and take her into an examination room on the craft. She watches them take Barney into the next room. Then Betty meets someone she calls the examiner. He tells her to take off her dress, and then before she even has a chance to hardly stand up to do it, the examiner unzips the back to her waist. And so she slips off her dress. So she doesn't have her dress or her shoes on. Now she's lying on the exam table, and they use some kind of stylus to press on the vertebrae in her spine. Then they take skin samples. They roll her over on her back, and the examiner takes this long needle and it's bigger than any needle that she's ever seen before. And she says, what are you going to do with that? And he says, just a simple test. It won't hurt. And she asks him, what? And he says, he just wants to put it in her navel. And it's just a simple test. And she says, no, it'll hurt. Don't do it. He says, no, it won't hurt. Betty is saying all of this while under hypnosis and it's recorded. The whole time she's saying this, her voice is shaking. She's really scared. So, he sticks the needle into her navel, and it hurts. And she's crying, and she tells him, it's hurting, it's hurting, take it out. And then the leader goes over and runs his hand in front of her eyes, and he says, you'll be all right. You won't feel it. And all the pain goes away. The pain goes away, but she's still sore from where they put the needle in. She doesn't know why they put that long needle into her navel. So she asked the leader, why did you stick the needle in my navel? And he said it was a pregnancy test. And she said, well, I don't know what they expected, but that was no pregnancy test here. And he didn't say any more. And then it was Barney's turn. 
So Barney goes through a physical exam as well. He's placed onto a table, and his clothes are removed. They seem to be interested in his muscular structure, as well as his nervous system. Pulled over, and he can feel something being pressed along the vertebrae in his spine. Barney keeps telling himself to keep his eyes closed. He doesn't want to see anything. He can feel something slide easily into his rectum and removed quickly. It isn't painful. Then a cup-like device is placed over his genitals, and he thinks maybe there's a sperm sample taken. Then it's over. After the physical examinations, the Hills are escorted off the craft and back to their car. Barney is still keeping his eyes closed, but he feels a sense of relief. He knows the worst is over. He's being guided to the car, and then he opens his eyes and he sees the car. He sees that the lights are off. He gets into the car, and he sees Betty walking toward him. She gets in the car. Barney flips on the headlights, and he sees the bright light of the moon, and he says, Well, there it goes. Barney starts driving, and Betty laughs and asks, Do you believe in flying saucers now? And he said, Oh, Betty, don't be ridiculous. Of course I don't. He didn't want to say what he really believed. He believed that they had seen and been part of something different than anything he had ever seen before. It is the most extraordinary story Dr. Simon has ever heard. Were these memories made up, or did Barney and Betty really get abducted by aliens? Dr. Simon believed that both Betty and Barney were telling the truth, or more specifically, that they believed what they were saying was the truth. Dr. Simon, though, thought their story was fantastic and unreal, and either had to be rejected or accepted. He didn't believe it happened but thought they truly did believe it. Then he remembered something. When he first saw Betty, she told him about her nightmares. Dr. Simon felt that the best explanation might be that the two of them had had some kind of transference between them, allowing them to sort of create and build this story that Betty might have had, and her memories or dreams contaminated Barney's memories or dreams. He wasn't accusing them of hoaxing, He just felt that it was a psychological condition. Betty and Barney didn't agree with Dr. Simon's conclusions. They were thankful that they were given the chance to tell their stories through hypnosis, but they thought their independent accounts confirmed that what they experienced was real. Barney felt a lot better because he had military officers telling him that, yes, all of these things are true. We know there are extraterrestrial craft coming to visit our planet, And there's no reason to believe that they aren't visiting people as well. And so Barney felt much better. They both felt a lot better. And they were happy that the truth had come out. And they now know what happened that night. They are also determined to keep it private. What they don't know is that it will be impossible to keep this, the first and greatest abduction story ever told, secret for long. Four years after the Hills UFO experience, October 25th, 1965, with the hypnotic sessions behind them, Betty and Barney feel better. They've moved on with their lives. Barney continued his involvement with the civil rights movement and his speaking engagements. That was his passion, his fight for civil rights. But then, in October, everything changed and their lives were turned upside down again. The Boston Traveler printed a five-part series detailing the Hill's UFO sighting and hypnotherapy sessions. It was a huge story, and it ran for five days in the newspaper. 
Betty and Barmy were not too happy about that. So much for keeping it private. John Luttrell, a reporter for the Boston Traveler in Boston, had received confidential information from a friend of Betty's, and this woman had told him everything she knew about the encounter and the hypnosis. I don't know who this woman was, but if one of my friends told a reporter something private about me, they would be ex-friends. Friends don't do that. What the heck? Luttrell did the right thing. He contacted Betty and Barney and wanted to interview them. Betty and Barney said, No, we don't want this story told. Then he did the wrong thing. But he tries to justify it. He said, These people deserved every single consideration, but then where do you draw the line between maintaining a certain degree of personal privacy and the public's right to know? Uh, you draw the line by not running the story if they said no. He did make it clear that the Hills themselves did not initiate this with the Boston Traveler. They chose not to talk about any of the incidents at all. Well, the snowball is rolling down the hill, and now it runs over Betty and Barney. They are now in the public spotlight. This affected not only Betty and Barney, but the entire family. They were a very respectable family with many accomplishments. So they sat down and discussed how they should handle it. They decided, as a family, that since it did in fact happen, and since the story had been told that Betty and Barney should tell the truth. So, rather than hide from the paparazzi, they went in a different direction. The Hills decided to cooperate with author John Fuller in the writing of The Interrupted Journey, Two Lost Hours Aboard a Flying Saucer. Well, the book was an amazing hit. It went worldwide. It was a New York Times bestseller. There was a tremendous amount of public interest. They literally shook the world when their story came out. It was a hit. Everybody knew about it. It was a book club selection. Parts of it were put in newspapers and in magazines. People couldn't get enough of it. What makes Betty and Barney's case so extraordinary is that it's just a case about firsts. They were the first Americans to claim to be abducted. It's the first time anyone had missing time. It's the first time that hypnosis is used to regress people to recover those memories. And it's also the first time that anyone described aliens as what is properly known now as the Greys. So Betty and Barney laid the template out there. The story explodes into pop culture when the book excerpts are reprinted in Look magazine. Now, back then, it was a lot different. There was a small amount of media. You had three or four channels on the TV. You had local radio stations and a few magazines and newspapers. It wasn't like today with YouTube, social media, live streaming, almost endless channels to choose from. Podcasts. Showing up in Look Magazine was a huge deal. The book release changed Betty and Barney's lives because Barney had been appointed to the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. He was also very actively involved in politics, as was Betty. They had to put those activities on the back burner for the time being to publicize the book. They took time off work so they could travel to do television shows. And they did many radio shows as well. This was kind of exciting for the family because they believed that finally this was acknowledged as real. Of course, you always have skeptics who refuse to believe, leaving many to wonder, what really happened? I believe that a little skepticism is healthy but not to the extreme. 
there are some that will not believe no matter what evidence is shown. One of the biggest pieces of evidence that the Betty and Barney Hill case could so desperately use would be a bunch of witnesses saying, I saw that thing too. And that is what the original reporter for the Boston Traveler, John Luttrell, thought he had. In 1976, John Luttrell admitted to interviewing these witnesses in a letter to nuclear physicist and UFO investigator Stanton Friedman. Before Stanton Friedman passed away, he gave Kathleen a letter written by John Luttrell, and John Luttrell spoke of 12 to 14 people in the White Mountains who had observed a craft by the same description on the same night in the same time frame that Betty and Barney saw theirs. His editors didn't feel that they needed to be included in the five articles that he wrote in 1965. When Luttrell left the Boston Traveler, he gave the file to his editor with all those witnesses in it. And, of course, the file has disappeared. Betty donated several items related to the incident, including the dress she wore that night, to her alma mater, the University of New Hampshire. Over the years, several tests have been done on the dress, on areas where there appear to be stains. Some of these results indicate that there's an organic material of some sort, but it wasn't until recently when the dress was re-examined by UFO researcher and former federal agent Ben Hansen that he found something very peculiar. When he turned the dress inside out, there was an inner lining to the dress about where her navel would have been, and there are about three stains. As if a needle had been inserted into the navel and some liquids had leaked out and stained the inside of the dress, but didn't seep through to the outside of the dress. They confirmed that the fluid does belong to Betty. Remember, she put this dress away and never wore it again. In the 1970s, controversy surrounding the Hill abduction explodes, and the media wants more. This time, when a school teacher in Ohio claims the Hill story is real, and she knows where the aliens came from. During her dreams and during hypnosis, Betty Hill describes seeing a star map. That one of the alien creatures had shown her a map that was a destination map of routes that had been traveled. She said to the leader, I know you're not from around here. Where's your home port? And he produced this three-dimensional star map. It was an oblong map, and there were all these dots scattered all over it. Some were little, just pinpoints, and others were as big as a nickel. There were lines connecting some of the dots. There were curved lines going from one dot to another. Some of them were dotted lines. And there was one big circle, and it had a lot of lines coming out of it, a lot of lines going into another circle quite close. She asked them what they meant, and he said that the broken lines were expeditions. Under instructions from Dr. Simon, Betty reproduced the map from memory. Then, in 1974, a schoolteacher in Ohio claims to have deciphered the map and located the star system where the aliens came from. Marjorie Fish was a very smart woman from Ohio. She had studied biology in college, and she was an amateur astrologer and a member of Mensa. She saw Betty's star map in the first book that was written about the abduction, and she was interested in it even though she was skeptical. She thought that if this place really did exist in our galaxy, 
then she'd be able to find it. In order to understand the perspective from which the map was drawn, Fish constructed an elaborate 3D model using fishing line and colored beads. She set up a number of criteria when she started the search. One was that the sun had to be in the pattern and had to be one of the stars with a line to it because the one Betty called the leader had said, this is where you are in the map, indicating that the sun was in the map. This was very difficult in the 70s. There was no computer. She had to hand copy all of the distance data that was available on the stars in our local galactic neighborhood and the property of those stars out 54 light years from our sun in every direction. In all, she constructed 14 models and she still didn't have a match. But then a new star catalog was released with updated information. She took this new distance data back and made a model and found a match. She had all 12 points plus three background stars. According to her evidence, the beings that abducted the hills came from Zeta Reticuli, which is a binary system located 39.3 light years from Earth. What we know about these stars is that they are very similar to our sun. They are called main sequence stars, and so they are at the right age, the right temperature. If there are planets around them, they could be at the perfect what we call Goldilocks distance. You know, the distance that could support life. The Zeta Reticuli system includes a debris disk similar to the Kuiper Belt. And the Kuiper Belt contains many comets, large asteroids, and dwarf planets like Pluto. In addition to that, mathematics predict possibly the ninth planet. This planet is ten times the scale of Earth. Since we can't be sure there's an actual planet in our own Kuiper Belt, we can't be sure about Zeta Reticuli system, but there definitely could be a planet in its debris disk. We may never know for sure if there's life around Zeta Reticuli 1 and 2, but it is reasonable to think that there could be. Scientists have discovered that the area of space that these aliens allegedly came from is rich in exoplanets. Betty said, quote, After this happened, there's no doubt in my mind that these are real solid craft and astronauts from a different solar system because they told me so themselves, end quote. Pease Air Force Base in 1961 was the home of Strategic Air Command, and that's where the bombers with the nuclear bombs were housed. A few years earlier, in 1947, the Strategic Air Command bombers were held at Roswell. There is a connection between nuclear weapons and UFOs. That brings more credence to the story. Betty and Barney were in a place where it wouldn't be unheard of for aliens to be in also. Skeptics always say, where's the evidence? Witnesses are evidence. Just look at the Navy pilots. These two people were credible in my opinion. If this were a case of murder, I think you would have enough evidence to convict. But you don't have to agree with me. You can make up your own mind. If you like the show, I would like to encourage you to help support the show. You can help me out with just $3 a month. Just scroll down to the show website and click on support. I would really appreciate it and I'd be happy to give you a shout out. Do you have a UFO story that you'd like to share? Is there a UFO story that you'd like for me to look into? Just send me an email at UFO and Aliens Podcast 
at gmail.com. I'm Rick Black, and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>